Okay, welcome back to episode six. This is uh, this is going to be an interesting episode. We have a lot of stardom to cover. As always, I am here with Tom. Hello, lovely to see you all. So, we're actually going to start where all the good women's wrestling is. We're going to start with the Hell in a Cell lineup. What 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 do they got on Hell in a Cell this year, Tom? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I know there's Joe and Styles. And neither guys had a good match in two years. And, and a hot rod red cell. A hot rod red cell. And yeah, watch that being that built earlier today. Every, everyone loves to make fun of Brock Lesnar. And these two, you know, fucking darlings, their last good match was with Brock Lesnar. Anyway, um, God, I don't know who else is fighting on this thing. Do they? They employ women in WWE. There's got to be a Carmella match, right? Oh god! Now, you know what? I legitimately, I think there might be the um oh uh last kicker versus Charlotte Flair match. Oh yeah, okay. That that might be good. It might be. I don't. It, it, and and they will probably throw it inside that horrific looking cell though. So <laughs> they're they're bright red cell. <laughs> I don't think Oscar. Ha- I mean, Oscar hasn't had a match in. Five months. Anyway. Oh God, no! She, she, she there's, I guarantee, if you look on her Instagram, there's just a picture of her on the beach in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't wrestle, and she shows up after five months, and she's suddenly a dumb foreigner. Ah, uh, just, just shoot me. <laughs> this is why I don't watch this product. Well, I mean, you say that, but there's the Mayon Classic, which is just about two weeks so far. Oh, I think that's, uh, I think that's a separate product. NXT yeah. is different. <laughs> but it's worth mentioning at the start at here that we're not going to be talking about the Mayon Classic because we're going to actually do a couple of side episodes dedicated to it. it mainly because it's a nice intro to Joshi and global women's wrestling. Yeah. So we're just going to leave that on the side. So it's not going to... We've got a lot to talk about this month. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that later and you'll get to enjoy that in a nice little 0.5 episode. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh... You'll get the first round, then you'll get uh, the rest of the rounds through the uh, semis, and then you get to hear us want to kill ourselves on air when we review Women's Evolution. Yeah, God, that's painfully mainstream, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah. figured it was uh, since that was my introduction to a lot of this stuff last year. Oh yeah, I think it's a nice way to help people bring people in oh, this yeah. year. So yeah. Yeah. Last year you had Kyrie doing the work for that, and this year you get Mako, Eo, Hero Yo. It's it's pretty great. Yes. Yeah. Uh well yeah, more of that in the point five episode. More of that in the point five. Next we're going uh not all the way to Japan. Next we're just going over to England. We have some uh well, I say we because I'm taking credit for Tom. Tom has some updates on Pro Wrestling Eve. Yeah, so Eve managed to knock out a couple of shows since we last recorded, including Riot Girls and Maybe Wrestling Will Help. Uh, that means a couple of She Won qualifiers as well. Viper beat Kaylee Ray in a really, really fun match that you people really should seek out. It's fantastic. Uh, very good comedy. <laughs> Unusually. I, I didn't expect Kaylee Ray to be this funny, uh, and she definitely lived up to that. <laughs> And then the following show was Maybe Wrestling Will Help, where we had B Priestley versus Chris Wolf, And Chris Wolf booked her a spot in the She Won as well. So uh, that should be excellent. Should be very good. Yeah, we have 
they uh in their upcoming booking they encountered a little snafu in the form of a massive media opportunity eve's been making some inroads some of you might have seen the the fact that they've been interacting with kate nash at the reading festival and uh jetta was on lorraine which is a daytime chat show on a main channel in here in the uk uh, along with a couple of other girls as well but i always pay attention to jetta because she is the shit talk queen and they have been given an opportunity to do some headlining work with the Time Out Festival in London. So as a result of that, it clashed directly with their Strong Women style show, which was due to be in a larger venue than normal. They decided to try and serve both masters, but that meant that the Strong Women style show had to be presented for a place they were comfortable presenting the show from. This means that they are doing it back at the, back at the Resistance Gallery instead. And they split the show into show one and show two. So now, over the course of the 27th and two shows on the 29th, I have three Pro Wrestling Eve shows featuring people like Hanukamura, Chris Wolf, and everyone else in the international tournament. Uh, Chihiro Hashimoto, Oi. Alpha Female. Yeah. So that's going to be good. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and that actually brings my total of live shows I'm going to this year up to 20. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> it's the most I've ever managed. That's crazy. That's crazy. I really thought, I really thought after a few years, you know, I did all those Dragon Gate shows and I did a lot of IPW UK shows and some Rev Pro shows. I thought I was winding down. Right. And then this year because of women's wrestling i have set new records <laughs> and and the vast majority of the shows i've been to so like a couple of stardom shows and all these eve shows they're driven by the fact that i'm enjoying wrestling again through joshi and women's wrestling yeah it's yep. it's it's nice not to be so cynical <laughs> exactly the joshi world is very happy exactly exactly yeah. yeah not least because they've gained me that's right <laughs> Okay. Well, next after that, we will move across the globe again. This time, we are going to Japan. Uh, first, quickly, uh, Hikaru Shida is going to have her 10th anniversary produce show produce show uh, on October 9th, a couple of weeks, at Korokuen. And she will be facing Marufuji, the man who knocked her out in a minute 40 last time they, they uh, faced each other. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I've seen more and more Hikaru Shida thanks to the uh, Sendai Girls service, so I've become more of a fan. Uh, yeah, she's... especially because the the late the stuff I've been seeing most recently has have featured her in proper ring gear and not the weird puffy samurai like <laughs> one legged stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she does still wear that a lot though. Sometimes, yeah, it's just one of those things where I, like I'm not trying to. St- you can wear what you like, but that stuff's weird. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the one-legged pant? I, I'm fine with puffy trousers if you want to wear them. Chris Wolf recently busted out her um, her hammer pants at right. an Eve show, right. which, you know, they're as puffy as you could possibly be. But at least they look like a, an item of clothing. <laughs> That's Whatever so Hikaru Shida wears is, is just weird. Yeah. That's always how I feel about uh, Natsu Sumire. I mean, and that's no 
knock on her, but her ring gear is always weird to me. It's got like the pseudo championship belt looking thing. And then it's, yeah, it yeah. does the uh, the old leather thong over the tights thing. I don't know. Her gear is always weird to me. I feel like it's deliberate, though. Yeah, I think At this so point. It's like, it's, yeah. it's like, it's meant to be slightly off. Yeah. <laughs> Just like her. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, yeah. Uh, next, the last thing we have before we go full stardom is going to be uh, Tom again. This time with the Sendai Girls. Yeah, so I've been checking out the Sendai Girls global service, as we covered once before. Uh, what was three shows has now doubled into six, which is it's still not exactly the most overflowing in terms of an on-demand service. Uh, I don't know what kind of problems they're encountering, but as it stands, I'm I'm really hoping I get to <laughs> I get some more in the next uh, next few weeks. I'm enjoying the shows. Yeah. So the first show that I checked out was the Pit show. The Pit is kind of meant to be a new regular haunt for them in their home base of Sendai. Uh, quite a fun show. Uh, Mika Iwata versus Sari. Yeah. And, Those are uh, both. They're both great. Yeah. And, you know, some more fun stuff. Just uh, unfortunately a bit more eager, which, you know, whatever. <laughs> The uh, main event was uh, Hiroyo Matsumoto and Riot Crown versus Alex Lee, Hiro Hashimoto and Mako Satsumura. So that is quite fun. That sounds but like a really good match. But it's just still kind of a feels like a regular show. Didn't feel like a a big show. And so what I thought I would do is go back to the January 9th show they put up from Shinjuku Face, which featured what felt felt a bit more like a, a major. Uh, overall card mm. so you've got uh riot crown versus kyoko kimura and command bolshoi yeah which you know it's i, I don't know much about K- kyoko kimura and command bolshoi as a tag team but as, as a group of personalities that was a very fun match i mean i'm not going to say it was the best match ever but i i'm into both of what well, everyone involved there yeah so it sort of seemed to carry it and the main event was Aja Kong beating Chihiro Hashimoto for the Sendai Girls World Title. And if memory serves, she did it with just one back fist instead of fifty. Yeah, uh, she's definitely managed to pack on the power of that since the early nineties. Apparently. That's right. Oh man, did did uh, I can't remember. Was it this match where Chihiro manages to hit her with that uh, Gary Albright German? <laughs> <laughs> she hit her with a lot of stuff i mean there's some groundwork that's kind of um it's charitable let's say but when it mm. comes to her her striking and her kicks aja is still formidable yeah so the match the match felt like it worked and the crowd was certainly into it because they're all you know aja's legendary exactly. so and she hero's gonna be <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully yeah. yeah with respect to the sendai girl service as a whole I want to support it, but at the same time, I'm I'm waiting for something more substantial, uh, and it hasn't quite come up yet. So I might switch across to something else, maybe Marvelous or something along those lines, just to see what else is out there. Because honestly, I'll probably get to see more Mako Satomura on other people's services yes, than I do will. on Sendai Global. <laughs> So, much as I do want to support this, and much as it is cheap, my money is 
spread thin across wrestling right now. So yeah, I need I need to commit to services that are fulfilling a, a proper service. So right. And um, speaking of which, uh, our next match is semi-related to Marvelous, or our next thing we're going to talk about. Uh, so Marvelous had their first ever Cora Kuhn show, uh, and it was headlined by Takumi Oroha versus Mayu Iwatani. Uh, the way this doesn't relate is that Marvelous um, hasn't put this on their service yet. They're trying to sell actual DVDs of it. It'll come eventually. Uh, however... Marvelous has, you know, a million, not a million shows, but comparatively a million shows up. Uh, They're all pretty good. You get, Marvelous puts weird things on their network. Like uh, you get to see the trainees being trained before the show, which is very similar to what you saw with Utami, uh, but even more. So that it's really interesting. Um, I one time watched, uh, Mio Momono's birthday party and saw, you know, Chigusa and Mio and all these other people, Rin Katakura, all them, uh, singing karaoke and just being at a birthday party. It was very fun. Um, and you get all this, and it's great quality, um, better than Stardom World quality as far as, you know, video quality. Uh, you get all this for Five American, which I believe in English pounds sterling is about 10 pence yeah i'm not sure you've got the exchange rate exactly right uh you may have lost a lot of money when you came across here before <laughs> i might have i might have <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the uh the mayu aroha match was was pretty fun yeah um i th- I thought that it was whilst they're trying to do obviously like you say this is their first corican show mm-hmm they did the traditional big brawl to the outside, and I kind of thought this was one of the very few matches or main events where it didn't need it. It didn't. Um, um, but it may also have been the close proximity with which I watched this and then the Mayu versus Kagetsu match. It is. in Aroha in general is very up and down to me. Um, sometimes she's amazing. Sometimes, like here, even... In this match, it was up and down. Like, sometimes she just doesn't sell at all, even though it's not like she's no-selling. She's just not really doing anything. And uh, I don't know. She's up and down to me, Um, which is how I would describe this match. Uh, I think Mayu... Well, they were both trying hard. I'm not going to say they weren't trying hard. But it it didn't live up to the hype uh, that it had going in as a fan of both of these people. Now, I've seen a decent amount of Aroha in, you know, she's done some decent, uh, done some recent crossover stuff with Stardom in the last year. Mm-hmm. I like her, same as you. I feel like she's a definite sort of 80s, 90s throwback, which you would expect from a Chigusa Nagayo-led promotion right. ace, almost. I don't know if she is the ace of Marvelous, but... She basically is, yeah. In that case, yeah. I did like the fact that the the crowd for the Marvelous show was very female orientated. Yeah, I noticed that too. That was really cool. Yeah, I asked Chris Wolf about it, and she just said it's because the uh, 
they're so, the fan base is made up so heavily of loyalists to Shigusa yeah. that they're very much left over from the Joshi boom, which is a very strong female-led boom. So yeah, and she spent uh, the '80s being their hero. So exactly, yeah. So yeah, it was just it's just refreshing to see uh, a largely female audience for once. Yeah, it was. Um, and uh, I guess we'll just say they wrestled to a draw, and it was good. Next up uh, will mostly just be me, since Tom has already been forced to go through even Sendai Girls on his own. Uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. I recently canceled my Marvelous, because I had caught up about as much as I'm going to for a little while. I'll, I'll always be back. Um, that's how I treat a lot of these services outside of stardom, honestly, is on off on off um but that's neither here nor there i have uh ddt universe again and like a good citizen of ddt universe i have voted for maki ito in the general election and i encourage anyone with a soul to do the same uh or a subscription to their service which you do need that or to attend live (laughs) yeah um but she's all right because uh, she already has the exact, at the time of recording, the exact total votes of second, third, and fourth are how many votes she has in first. So I think she's safe. Um, and of course, the winner of the election gets a KOD uh, title shot. And that title is currently held by Mako Satomura. And I don't know about you, but uh, Mako versus Maki is just absolutely, that's going to be incredible. Yeah, as a main event on a uh, DDT show, I would be interested in checking that out at some point. Almost to the point where it's almost worth signing back up with the DDT service. <laughs> really? uh, decisions to make. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. And I also did it for, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost caught up. Uh, I'm through June now. What are we on? September. Yeah, I'll catch up soon. And that was Maji Manji is supposed to be a wonderful, wonderful weekly show from DDT. And I also want to binge watch that. So we will see. In other TJPW news, uh, well, I finally caught up and got to see Hyper Misao versus Jun Kasai. And that match had so much hype. And usually, I am not, usually too much hype hurts me in that my expectations get too high and it's rare things live up to them. And then you add to the fact that it's Hyper Misao, who, before this match, I didn't really like very much. And Jun Kasai, who I guess is fine, but he's a deathmatch wrestler and I'll never see him wrestle really that much because I don't watch that stuff. Uh... And this match had everything for me that it needed to not live up to the hype. But my God, was this good. Basically, it's about the story of Hyper Misao. After college, she turned into a uh, recluse and would only eat some sort of chocolate biscuit thing um, and never leave a room. Uh yeah, and then at some point during her depression, she saw a pro wrestling match. I don't know where it was from, but it was Jun Kasai versus somebody. 
And they immediately became her wrestling heroes to the point that within a week she left her room and applied to Tokyo Joshi Pro, which is really cool. Um, On her resume, she wrote, I want to be a superhero because that's what she thought of Jun Kasai and the guy I'm forgetting as, Uh, which is why she has that gimmick now of whatever, (laughs) whatever she's doing, wearing a carpet. Uh, for a cape so that led up to this match and it was going to be a you know hardcore no rules match and all that and so they start and at the beginning of the match hyper misao wants to uh, make it even more hardcore and the way she does this is with a stipulation that before a pinfall can occur you have to eat an entire bag of the chocolate biscuits that she lived off of during her days of reclusion. <laughs> um, and it's, that is tremendous. It is tremendous. And they played it really in, well into the match. Like, Kasai would have her beat, but he hadn't yet finished his bag of biscuits, so the ref wouldn't count for him and things like that. It's really good. Um, um but yeah, uh, had some neat spots. It immediately goes out into the hallway, as uh, DDT is known to do. And apparently Misao had set up a, you know what, a, a, how do I explain it? A house of cards, a house of playing cards that looks like a big pyramid. She had done that with steel chairs. And uh, she, uh, Kasai ended up standing in front of them somehow. And she got on her superhero Batmobile bicycle. And drove it straight through Kasai and the pyramid of chairs. And it looked like it hurt her more than anything. Um, Jesus. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Uh, and then um, they go back to the ring. Kasai goes back to the ring. And then Misao comes back. And she gets back on her bike and comes out of the Korokin, uh entrance, roughly. Uh, maybe not the the thing where people dive off of, but that general area and rides down the steps um, on her bicycle. And she gets, <laughs> <laughs> she gets the chant that uh, she gets the Jun Kasai chant. What? Like you're fucking crazy. I think is his chant or something like that. And the only person in all of Japan that gets that is him. It's not like some deathmatch chant. It's only for Jun Kasai. And they gave it to her for this, which was pretty neat. Um, but he proceeds to keep winning. And then in a really crazy spot, uh, he puts Misao on a table on the outside of the ring and climbs to the top rope and splashes her through the table And it just looks like it kills her. Um, Puts her back in the ring. Pins her. Hasn't finished his uh, biscuits, so the ref won't count. So he chucks down all of his biscuits and brings like a giant fucking ladder in the ring. Just a huge one. Lays Miso in front of it. Puts on his goggles and hits his, uh, what does he call it? Something something offensive like the Pearl Harbor splash or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he should work for Vince. He should. And, uh, hits the big splash off the ladder and he's ate his, he's ate his biscuits. So the referee counts and it's over. And, uh, a big part of the story before that was that Misao had thanked him 
for screwing with her life in the best way possible, which is such a sweet thing to say. Um, so after the match, she's on the ground and he gets a mic to talk to her, doing the usual Japanese post-match talking to each other thing. And uh, he tells her he's not, when they get to the back or whatever, he's not going to tell her what he thought of the match, if he thought it was good or anything, because that would be condescending and they stand together as equals in wrestling, in a wrestling ring. And I thought that was so sweet. And then on his way leaving, I believe he was at the curtain when he said it, he turned back around to her in the ring and said, thank you for screwing with my life in the best way possible. And it was just so, I have goosebumps now just finishing the story. It was so fucking good. Nice. (laughs) Was this actually on a uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro show? Yes. Yeah, I forget what date. I think it was May 8th. It was the May Kurakuen, if memory serves. May Kurakuen. Weirdly, I watched a Junkasai match this month as well, and it's relevant. Hey, so we might as well... Uh... Right, let's just quickly run through it. It's, uh, it was yeah. from... from uh, well, this would have been a couple of years ago now. It was Konami and Yuko Miyamoto versus Kagetsu and Junkasai in a light tubes death match. <laughs> Kagetsu loves, or Kagetsu, Junkasai loves the Joshi. He does, he does. And he does. Konami, as we all know, likes to wear all white. <laughs> and it was it was all red by the time this was done. Yeah, I've, I've only seen GIFs of this. Yeah, I'm not the biggest deathmatch guy, and especially with light tubes indoors, knowing how utterly toxic those things are. Yeah. Not my favourite idea. One of those things where I respected the effort more than I enjoyed the match, but right, it was still interesting. I wanted to see what these women had done in death matches before coming to stardom, which obviously is a ninety-nine point nine percent death match free zone. Yeah, because they 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 even refer to it if they're facing each other sometimes. Yeah, so it was it was interesting. It's up there on YouTube if anyone really wants to look for it, but. Uh, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. Konami came in wearing white and left wearing red. Pretty much. And nobody else left much better. Yeah, like I say, I've, I've seen GIFs of it, and it's... I don't know. It's, uh, it's deathmatch bullshit. It's not my thing. <laughs> <laughs> if it was, I would subscribe to Big Japan. And moving off into stardom-adjacent stuff, at least. Uh, stuff yeah. that doesn't feature light tubes. Right. Uh, the the Simon, Simon Inoki tour in China featuring a whole bunch of Noah talent and talent from different promotions and uh, Toru Natsuko and Tam Nakano from Stardom. Right. Yeah, it was... I liked it. I thought it was good. It. It's sort of weird. Okay, well, first off, the first match is really good and it's not clipped and it's great. Uh, the second match is clipped all to hell and I assume it was good, but I don't really know. It was just super clipped up. But... More interestingly was the audience, which was a bunch of middle-aged or older women and men that they sort of were trained in wrestling and sort of not. And I mean, when I say that, what I mean is they would pop huge for simple things like a body slam. Um, But there was a really good 2.9 in the match. And they gave zero shits. Um, so it was weird that way. It was sort of old-fashioned. Um, yeah, it definitely had that 1980s feel to it. It um, 
And it has the Thundersticks as well. Which I loved to the point that I wish another company would take that idea. It's one of those things you, with a really high risk factor, though, because you don't know how much it would take over the show. You know, like 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 if Progress introduced Vuvuzelas. Oh my god! Well, that's different. This one, I was <laughs> just thinking, it makes really good, uh, not artificial, but I can't think of a better word. But it makes really good artificial noise. So sometimes these places can come off quiet, and when everyone starts hitting those sticks together, it goes loud real quick. Yeah, actually, um, one of the things you, one of the things I've always noticed in UK venues is the amount of times that the audience will just resort to stamping their feet to make more yes. noise. Yep. Um, but this would be a, a good equivalent to that. Although, again, they're they're big and long, and mice interview with view interview with the view of people who might have of the show. Yeah, they could do that too. They could. Yeah. But for like a a couple of shows in China, yeah, it was a really refreshingly engaged not in Japanese audiences are always engaged but right. it was a very uh outspoken audience yeah. they were they, they were there just to have a really good fun time with it so yeah i mean i watch a lot of wrestling in different countries so they were not like an american crowd they were not like a canadian crowd they were not like a mexican crowd they were not like an english crowd or an irish crowd or a german crowd or a japanese crowd like, they were totally... China totally had a unique crowd. It was really cool. I also liked how uh, pleased Tam was that she had a full-size cutout in the lobby. Yes. Both well, her- as she said, it wasn't even full. It was bigger than her. Well, yeah, it was cut off at the knees, but it was still her height. So Yeah, but she if you been, saw the... She would have been eight feet tall if it had been, if it had been finished. <laughs> yeah. If you saw the face, though, it was like two of her faces. It was huge. <laughs> it, was really, it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a, Simon Inoki, uh, well, the Inokis in general have been known for their use of wrestling to do sort of goodwill tours and cultural ambassador tours, that sort of thing. And uh, at least on the basis of this, you can tell they do a, pro- a reasonably professional job. Yeah, probably got some good contacts. It was it was fun. I wouldn't be against watching the whole show to be honest. Me either. But, Just, uh, uh, I would like to compare it to uh, Sima's chinese promotion which is i always describe it as it's uh dragon gate as a rookie promotion (laughs) (laughs) which isn't bad i mean dragon gate it's it's its own style of wrestling but uh it's enjoyable at times yeah i still haven't seen that people keep talking about how it's uh you know shaolin monks and stuff yeah well a couple one or two guys are and they have that one guy that just fucking flies like it's nothing he's a natural but if you or anyone listening wants to watch it i watch it every friday night on twitch tv he puts it on there for free so oh that's right yes i just got a um a new streaming device in my home which is not an apple tv no not a fire tv it's not a google what is the other one roku the roku that's it yeah i just got a roku yeah you absolutely need to add twitch I have added Twitch, and I have so far used it to watch old episodes of AAA. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, Triple Mania on there. Every now and then I give TNA a whirl, um, just to see what they're doing these days. I also like SEMA's promotion on there, and I have I've to also... Find it. Yeah, it's called OGE, Oriental something. And uh, 
semi-related to the podcast. I've been using it. I, I can't remember when it's on, but I've been watching episodes of uh, the women's promotion Rise on there, too. So Oh, right. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's been really cool that way. There's a lot, lot, lot of dirt indies on there, but uh, there's also some really good stuff. See, I just typed in wrestling and the results were not deep, but maybe, maybe I can come up with something more useful. So Don't type the word wrestling. Go to categories and in categories, select wrestling. Okay. And right. then you'll see everybody who classifies their channel as wrestling, and it'll be in there. Cool. Yeah, no, I'll definitely uh, start digging into that. I, I want to see yeah. more Rise anyway, so. Yeah, it's been neat. I saw uh, Britt Baker versus Tessa Blanchard have a really good match, which I was surprised by, but I guess they're best friends, and Tessa can be good when she she's sort of like... Uh, She's sort of like an indie geek. She has good matches when she goes for the overly dramatic epic stuff. Um, um, (laughs) I don't know. I guess that's a good thing. Um, But it was a pretty good match. Uh, I saw Kimberly in there. I forget who she was facing even now. Um, But it's worth, uh, it's like an hour and it goes by fast. So it's worth watching. Nice. Yeah, uh, good recommend. I shall check that out. Yes, sir. God, I'm learning all sorts of stuff this week. That's right. That's right. Um, okay, the next thing on the docket is the debut. I cannot believe we hadn't covered this yet. This already feels like super old news. Joshi moves fast, as I always say. Uh, the debut of Utami Hayashishita. Um, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you gonna say? It well, we we saw we saw the the test that she had, and we talked about that last time. And I think largely our, our perception of her was that she was a bigger than average, athletic, you know, talented girl. But then when they actually do the thing where they they show they show what her ring gear is gonna be, and you're like, oh right, that's main event ring gear. Yeah, that's really good. And then her. They did the preparation where they show her backstage. They've been doing that a lot at Corican recently. Yep. Yep. And then she comes out and her entrance music is main event as well. Sure is. I love and that she song. Go- and she goes to a freaking draw with Jungle. Yes. Yeah. It was so good. I, I, one of my favorite matches I've seen in the last month, honestly. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. Um, and I don't even... We'll get to it later. I think the rematch was maybe even better. I mean, these... Utami's good. Yeah, you needed that first match to build off for that second match. But as yeah. far as a, a debut match for someone who's been in the business for six months... It's ridiculous. I mean, you look at all these wrestling, all these schools and everything, and they say, oh, you need to... You know, all these people sat on the WWE roster doing nothing and say, oh, you need loads of seasoning. Oh, you need to work around Florida for three years before we'll let you on TV. And at the same time, you've got this 18-year-old girl who in six months becomes a major member of the roster and having <laughs> matches of the quality required to do so. Yeah. She's... Yeah. I, I'm not going to say that she's not been uh, to a degree carried by the opposition. They haven't put her in there with scrubs. Right. But she is more than holding up her end in these things. Yeah, she's doing the rookie thing where you spend 90% of the match bumping and selling, and she's really good at it. But then occasionally, just her size and power uh, really, that nets her the advantage. And then once yeah. she starts to throw those judo throws... Yeah, her judo throws are just obscene. The way... Yeah. We, we'll get to that again later, perhaps. Uh, 
But the way she judo throws Tom Nakano like a just like a rag doll is ridiculous. Well, when you have judo throws and then you throw in the extra thing of doing it as a wrestling style so you're actually helping the person yeah the speed that she's getting off these things they look absolutely terrifying yeah yeah like i say the, the ones she gives tom nakano are ridiculous but as far as utami comes so far i've been so impressed she looks the part of a new ace she does and she will and be she yeah there's no question i, th- I think and yeah. and she's starting off on the right foot with her various matches we'll talk about talk about these more as we get into the five star but yeah. You know, that jungle match really set the right tone. I, I thought uh, Leo Onazaki had a good debut match. Yeah. So, from a psychological viewpoint, but yep. but from a physical view uh, standpoint and a psychological standpoint, Utami has had one of the best debut matches I've ever seen. Absolutely is. Absolutely is. Yeah. She um, she's actually I was going to she she does the Ronda Rousey gimmick better than Ronda Rousey. <laughs> she does. Yeah. Well, she doesn't spend half the match screaming at the audience. <laughs> you want to see it? You want to see it? Jesus. Well, yes, Rhonda, do the move. Yeah, she doesn't have a primary opponent like Alexa Bliss, though. You know, she's... Yeah, yeah. She She's set, she's set out there with the explicit task of having good matches, and she's doing yeah, it, which is, she is really impressive. Yeah. I mean, and I wasn't going to say it till later, but it's Joshi Joshi, and we love our bad analogies. Uh our bad wrestler comparisons too um to me she's a lot like sting was his entire career in her first six months and that's in the sense that as a worker i always thought that sting worked to the level of his opponent if he's in there with vader or cactus flair someone like that he's gonna have a great match if he's in there with a run-of-the-mill average worker, he's going to have a run-of-the-mill average match. Uh, if he's in a tag team against the Steiner brothers, they're going to tear it down. He always wrestled to his opponent's ability. Uh, and thus far, that's what we're seeing out of Utami. You give her somebody good, and she's already going to put on a really good match. And there's a lot of good people she can face, thankfully. I mean, yeah, when, when you've got her across the ring from Jungle twice in one month, that's, I mean... That's, yeah... Her debut, her debut month is going to be strongly... It's going to be better than most people's average month in WWE, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's just and then really, she fought, really impressive. Then she fought Kagetsu, and that was really good. But we'll, we'll get into all that later. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's also... It's worth mentioning that off the back of that first performance... Well, obviously, as storyline, she was offered that spot in the five-star. And we've been speculating about yes. Gato move or Takumi Aroha getting that spot and is like yeah. oh they're putting Utami in I, yeah h- how is she gonna do yeah. and my initial uh thing was well she's gonna lo- lose all but one match surely <laughs> and I I was sort of middle of the road I had her starting off hot and then cooling down the second half no nope. and no no she, she's straight up getting a Goldberg push yeah uh, aside from obviously losing out to Kagetsu she needs to show some weakness obviously but this is this is really good stuff, yeah. uh, and, and a textbook example of how to make a new star. It really is. It's. I'm going to really enjoy her career. Yeah. So, but in a happy accident, uh, we went to uh, Tom and I talked about this before, and we were wondering what each other was talking about, and it uh, it turns out Tom watched the wrong match. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> there, there's no such thing as watching the wrong match here. <laughs> he watched the July match. What is so, truth? <laughs> so he ended up going and watching uh, both of them. Okay. So well, this was, yeah, that's what he was saying. 2015, a couple of matches between Kairi Hojo and Mako Sadamura for the red belt. Uh, the first match is lauded as one of the greatest matches in stardom history, if not the greatest. The second match is a slightly... It's 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 actually a very different match, but it's equally good, I think. Um, so basically, this is in front of a packed Corican Hall, the first match. Yes. It's... It sort of it, it sort of starts off pretty even right up until um right up until Kyrie decided to slap Mako Satomura in the face for trying to put her in a in a crab. And then <laughs> Mako just was taking zero shit. You know, like those those nasty arm locks meshed with leg leg sweeps, that sort of thing. Right. Um Slapping Mako's not always the best idea. No, but it was crucial in both of these matches. So like at one point, they're brawling to the outside, and they're on the upper uh, deck of Corican Hall. And Kyrie does like a twenty meter run up in uh, going for a spear, and Mako just has none of her shit and basically stuffs it. Yeah, I mean, this whole match, this whole match, Mako is working the submissions like an absolute madwoman. There was an awesome moment where, where Kyrie managed to put Mako into the Tree of Woe and then worked her worked her abdomen like a speed bag. <laughs> yes, yes. Like I, I don't know. If, I know Kyrie's occasionally popped out some like good strike series, like really that intense stuff. I know she did it against Shayna Baszler. Yeah. But you rarely see it on the WWE side as much as you see it in this match. Oh yeah. Uh, her her two handed chops are filthy. Yeah, and, and her spinning back fist is fucking frightening. I mean, I think the main story for this match with me was Mako was constantly looking for the kill shot. She was, she basically almost for the majority of the match, she didn't do anything unless it could directly finish the match. So like, uh, she drops a DVD on the ramp, which just terrifying. Yeah, that, uh, she's, that spot was really, really cool. She's constantly trying to hook arm bars and chokes or hitting other DVDs inside the ring. Whereas Kyrie is sort of finding gaps and like little spots in her armor where she can just use strikes to try and generate something on her end. Which means that Mako is leaving herself open because she is just constantly looking for that kill shot. Yeah. Uh, at one point, uh, Mako blocks the flying elbow into an arm bar and then turns that into a Fujiwara. And it's just like, she spends so much time pulling on her arm, it's like a Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's just absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that spot was great, though, where she, she did that to the elbow. And then uh, Kairi busts out the zombie sit-ups and just gets shut down straight away with a kick to the head. Yeah. Yeah, there was. It, um, it wasn't so much zombie like Undertaker. I'm gonna sit up and kill you. She. It wasn't. It was a Maho Karoni one. Yes. It was. It, it was the invisible strings pulling her up. Yeah, it was a living dead. She's fucked up, but she's sitting up somehow. Yeah, yeah. And Kyrie actually manages to finally uh, block one of the like the nine 
Death Valley Driver attempts in the match, <laughs> at pull it into a guillotine, and Mako just spinebusters her into the mat, taking none of it. Uh, Mako finally gets one more Death Valley Driver, but it's over. It's a time limit draw. It sounds like Kyrie didn't get a lot of offense in, and Mako was pretty dominant, but Mako got the big moves. Kyrie got a lot of time in the match on offense where she's just scrapping. Yeah. You know, she was getting like the, the, the foot stomps off the top or or just chops or you know, uh these these spots where she could sort of build the crowd momentum behind her before getting absolutely flattened by another kick to the head. I I, I don't know if it's the best stardom match ever because I haven't seen a lot of stardom matches uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But man, this was great. <laughs> yeah, it it was a incredible match. Um, both of these matches, uh, the big things to me that stand out. Uh, you were saying mostly how Kyrie's offense is her scrapping, and I think that's just the perfect way to book this. Is how they did it, um, where she's just trying to survive against Mako. Mako's gonna kill her at any moment. And she's just fighting to survive. Um, and, and that scrappiness drives Mako's frustration, which is yeah. why she keeps going for these heavy shots instead of doing what she would usually do, which is pick someone apart. Yeah, because she can't and, keep and, her down. And, and that plays heavily into the second match, because this time around, Mako is once again calm, focused, and even when Kyrie slaps her earlier on in the match just to try and get that same angry reaction, all Mako does is just level her straight yeah. off again she's not taking this stuff the second time around she is she is much more Kyrie gets a lot more offense in the second match i feel yeah uh a lot more because I, I watched this match tw- through twice and I, the first time i thought oh mako killed her the second time i watched her i was like actually Kyrie gets a deceptively lot large amount of offense in it's kind of instead of it being about Mako tiring herself out, punching against Kyrie's toughness, it's Kyrie punching herself out. Yes, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great way to think of it. Actually, that does work. Yeah, so this time where it was, like I say, about nine Death Valley drivers deep, and Kyrie was still finding ways to get <laughs> to either get out of the ropes or kick out or something. This time, Mako just no shit. Two Death Valley drivers in a row pins her at 23 minutes for the title. What do you think about the the common opinion of it? Do you think that first one from June is the best match in stardom history? Well, as I say, I, I don't know, honestly. From my experience, I would certainly say it's in that top bar. You know, it's I, I've seen the uh, Mayu Iwatani versus Io Shirai matches. Yeah. It's different to those, but man, it's it's fantastic to see Kyrie, Kyrie's contrib- contribution on that level because I haven't had the chance to see much of that yet. So really, really being able to appreciate her, what she brought as the lead champion in the company is is really something. Well, for me... I mean, best match in company history is hard to say anyway, but it might, I don't know. I don't think it was. (laughs) Um, I still give that honor to Io Mayu, too. 
uh, the one from December, I believe it was, for my favorite match ever in the company. I I think it's just the All Japan slut in me that loves watching people drop each other on their heads and necks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll always have a soft spot for that. And uh, to make it even more controversial, I can't help it. It's just how I feel. I don't even think it was the best Mako Kyrie match. I think the match in July, I enjoyed that one more. But I do, I am known for uh, favoring rematches. I mean, you got Io Mayu 2, Kyrie Mako 2. Earlier in the show, we uh, talked about uh, uh, I prefer Jungle Utami 2. Uh, you want to go something more mainstream? I prefer the Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon from SummerSlam to the WrestleMania match. I think it's much better. I just like rematches a lot more. Hell, you Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. I like number two. <laughs> that is the classic example, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I like rematches. Personally, I think there was... With all these with all these matches, you have to see the first one to understand the second. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Which is why they're usually better. Yeah. I think the story was better told in the first match here than in the second. But that really is down to how you interpret the story. And I can't guarantee that somebody's going to come away from that first half with exactly the same impression as I did. Oh, yeah. But because I was weaving a story into it that I was getting from how how Mako was acting that it may not even have been the intention, but that's just what I got from it. Right. Whereas somebody else might not get it because it's it is a less explicit story. Mm-hmm. But it's just how I saw it. So when you're looking at like um interpretations on that slim uh, a uh, a premise, then I can totally see uh, someone's opinion going one way or the other. Yeah. Basically, I imagined it, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we do that with a lot of stardom. Like, you read posts about stardom matches, and they don't have announcers, you know? All they have is pre-match promos, mostly. Sometimes there's in-ring stuff that you can't really understand anyways, and well, you know, most people watching... Uh, not from Japan can't and post-match stuff sometimes. So a lot of these matches is us projecting. Um, It's obviously influenced by what the wrestlers are doing, but it's all open to interpretation to some degree. Yeah. And I genuinely believe my interpretation of the storyline in those two matches, the fact it was based around the slap the fact that I'm able to interpret that stuff comes from my experience with stuff like uh, Tanahashi versus Shibata, right? Where that's that kind of story was explicitly told to me through the medium of announcers and reviews at the time. So yeah. I'm able to take a storytelling of that sophistication and overlay it onto a product that doesn't have that kind of assistance, right? Right, which. It's one of those reasons why I think Stardom is a great product for someone who has been watching a lot of wrestling and knows what they're dealing with. Yes, absolutely is. Whereas it's not a starter product. And a lot of it also with Stardom is the fact that you were talking about reviews and message boards about matches. With, With Stardom, 
I think it's really cool that when we see these matches, it's not like there's an immediate, you know, forum thread going up somewhere or famous reviewer or live whatever. We're what we just go into all of this stuff fresh. So we don't get influenced by outside opinions. And I think that's really cool. It makes it more personal to each person watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's not, uh, you're not going to go into stardom. You come, come in with a more open mind because you're not projecting onto the booking committee yeah. as much. You're not you're not saying... Well, you could say someone should be pushed or someone should not be pushed, but your interpretation of their story is purely what you're getting. Yes. It's not couched in a lot of like big negativity or ongoing storylines about the, the the company as a whole right it's much freer of that yeah and i don't know if we've discussed it on this show before i mean we probably have but just to re-emphasize what stardom has done with all of this it relates to everything we're saying here is make me prefer uh wrestling with no announcers i think it's so much better i want the wrestlers to tell me the story themselves and I will interpret it however it happens to be in my head when I'm watching it. I don't like announcers anymore. I really don't. Well, I think we said before, it's so rare you have an actors that are actually a positive for the product. Yeah. That a preference for no announcers is understandable at yeah. this stage. And Especially I mean, when you have a, a character-based, relatively demonstrative product. Yeah. Where... They're really actually trying to communicate directly with the audience. And I, I think everybody agrees with me in their own way. Um, allow me to play armchair psychologist. Uh, because if you notice, people seem to love the Japanese announcers, right? Even though they don't have a fucking clue what they're saying. And they seem to love Mexican announcers when they watch, you know, lucha or soccer or things like that. Because they can feel the excitement even though they don't know what they're saying. And I think that ties together with what we're saying with no announcers because they they are there, but they're sort of just conveying feelings through tone of voice more than instructing you with what's happening and yada yada. I mean, if you can speak the language, they are. But I'm talking about us as, you know, foreigners to those languages, hmm. preferring those announcers to our own and i'm sure i'm sure if we asked a japanese person what they thought of the new japan announcers or all japan or whatever um actually nobody watches noah or something ddt um i think ddt is the second biggest wrestling company in japan that's crazy um they may not have the vitriol westerners have for michael cole or old jr but they probably don't love them as much as we love as we do because they know what they're saying and they're sort of being told what to feel and they've been listening to the same thing over and over and they actually understand what it means so they recognize that it's the same thing over and over i i, I mean maybe it is maybe announcing hasn't gone the way of the dodo like it has in america in england but uh I don't know. I don't know. I'd be interested it, to find out. When it comes to those foreign language announcers, they're almost like 
um, more perfect exemplifications of the state of the audience. Yeah. So they're transmitting the emotion that you you're supposed to be feeling that goes with this story. Yeah. And that that it might not necessarily always feel the most natural, but at least it's trying to be that way. Yeah. You're not able to pick up on the falsehood of it. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. In that way, the language barrier becomes an enhancement. Exactly. You you just pick up on the different tones of voice because there's nothing to pick up on. So, so but even when she, once you strip that away, you still have the basic natural reaction of the crowd, yes. and that's the most natural and honest reaction of all. Exactly. I mean, providing you, you understand that crowd. Yeah, and I mean, even if you don't, you can pretty quickly. I mean, imagine. Someday you go to Arena Mexico, it's not going to make any sense to you the first hour, but I guarantee by the time the show's over, you're doing whatever the hell they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to get uh, caught up in a crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In conclusion, you should watch these two matches. Watch these two matches. Tell us which one you prefer. Tell us what you think about announcers. Um yeah, and I guess that's it. So <laughs> <laughs> next we have, uh, all we have left now is to talk about what will be next for the classic match. Um, this time, I believe Tom told me, did you tell me Crush Girls or just Chigusa Nagayo? No, I said Crush Girls okay. specifically okay. because I wanted to see the whole package. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if you just wanted Chigusa, but... I guess I must have listened to you because you have the crush girls. Um, so anybody who's been in the tape trick, well, God, they don't do that anymore. Whatever it is now, long enough, we'll have seen these little hour long or maybe a little longer um, AJW Classics collections because it's almost sort of funny how there's, there's like a hundred of them. There's a ton of them. But uh, we're going way back because... You wanted the Crush Girls. So we are going back to May 16th, 1985. This is AJW Classics Episode 6. There's actually two Crush Girls matches on here. Maybe even against the same opponents, but whatever. The point is, it's in the main event here. It's the last match on the... I I was going to say tape again. I'm I'm so old. Um, (laughs) It's the last match on the stream. And it is Crush Girls versus Gokuaku Dome because you can't get that popular unless there's, you know, someone for you to beat up that the audience hates. You need a Roddy Piper to the Hulk Hogan. And that's what Gokaku or Go, Gokuaku Dome were. Um, it was Dump Matsumoto and Bull Nakano. At first, I believe it was uh, Dump Matsumoto and Crane U. Was it Crane U first? How would I know? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Bull Nakano was not the original. Uh, and this is actually going to be a two out of three falls, two out of three falls match. And I almost feel strange recommending it because it is one of those feud ending, super intense matches. Sort of like I gave you with Bull Nakano versus Aja Kong. Um I'm doing it to you again where you're not seeing the lead up. But god damn, this match is good. It's probably the best match they have with each other. Um, 
So that's what I want you to see. I want you to see the crowd losing their shit for the Crush Girls and goddamn Goku Akudome just being complete pieces of shit. And I want you to see them beat the hell out of each other and just be amazing. So that's what you Awesome. Yeah. And and I really do want to get, uh, do want to delve a bit more into the tag side when it comes to these classic matches. So this felt like a good place to start. Absolutely. You still have, uh, we can go next time even to the Jumping Bomb Angels. They had some good matches with the Crush Girls. And there's, uh, I always say the name wrong. So it's Los. They gave themselves a Spanish name and I can't say it right. But, uh, you know, LCO. <laughs> we could do some of them too. Um, but that's for another time. So I'll just say it again. AJW Classics episode number six, final match on the stream. Crush Gals versus Goku Aku Dome of Dump Matsumoto and Bol Nakano. Two out of three falls. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay, so yeah. Hey, uh, fourth wall time. How you guys doing? Um, Tom and I are here. It turns out, well, we failed. I, I think this is more I could say <laughs> so, you failed. Yeah. I failed. It's definitely not my fault at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we wanted an hour and a half, and we got something like, I don't know what it'll be after. Oh, editing. God. Three hours, probably. Maybe, yeah. So, we are coming to you from the future. To give you this uh, little message that uh, this has been part one of a two-parter, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we will have the second part up as soon as we can.